Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, in reading in a few moments with verse 7. Think for a few moments about some of the things that might not be too pleasant to think about. Aaron Alexis and what happened at the Navy Yard. Think about distracted or drunken drivers who injure or kill people. Think about disease. Think about identity theft. You can think of so many things that just make you feel insecure in life. We do a lot to stand against those things. We try to take precautions. And it seems as if, you know, whatever we do, you know, there's always something popping up that is, you know, unexpected, dangerous. Yesterday, I was going to help my son repair a piece of siding up on his house. And it was way up. We had to rent a ladder. It was so high up. We took the ladder home from a rental company, started working with it. It had been laying out in the grass at the rental company, had some fire ants on it, managed to get those off, got ready to pick it up and lean it against the house, found not one but two blackwood spiders. You never know. Life's insecure. We design safe automobiles, we put security systems in our homes, we get passwords and firewalls for our computers, and and yet we know we are never totally secure. Something unexpected can always come our way. Hold that thought in mind for a few moments. We've been working with the different churches in the book of Revelation. These were churches in what was then called Asia Minor, which is today pretty well modern Turkey. And there were seven churches there, and Jesus addressed these seven churches. And there was a pattern that he used for each of them. First, he gave a characterization of himself. Then he gave a commendation to the church. Then he gave a reprimand to the church. Then he gave instruction. And then he gave promise. And we're going to see that in the church at Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia was a city that was kind of way away from the coast, kind of, we would say today, out in the boonies. And it had originally been established to spread the Greek culture and language to that particular area. So it had a long history and, you know, was put there for a good reason. It was in an agricultural area. And their product there, especially known for, was their grapes. There was an earthquake on that city in A.D. 17. And uh, later it was rebuilt by the Roman Emperor Tiberius who gave it a new name, Neo-Caesarea. It was a city where there wasn't any emperor worship to to speak of, so so the believers there weren't being pressured into emperor worship. Evidently there was a good contingent of Jewish people there and they were bringing pressure on the church and, and causing problems for that church. So let's begin to look and see what Jesus would have to say to this church. First in verse 7, where we get a characterization of Christ. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, 
no one can open. Now, Jesus calls himself holy. Usually when you run across the word holy in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it has something to do with God. It has to do with God's nature. It has to do with God's character. He, he is a holy God. So when Jesus calls himself holy, he's letting it be known. He is God among us. He is the Holy One. And then he called himself true. Now, true in two senses of the word. First of all, he is the truth. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. But also, he is trustworthy. You can depend on him. He, he's true to what he says. If he says he's going to do something, you can depend on it. He's going to do it. He is holy and he is true. And he holds the key of David. Now, there's Old Testament background to this. If you want to look it up, you can go to Isaiah 22 and, and see a little bit about what he's talking about. But just in short, what it means is he's got the messianic keys. He holds the key to the kingdom of God. He is the one who unlocks the door so that people can come into the presence of God. Now, evidently, what was taking place there in Philadelphia is that the Jewish people were coming to the Christian and said, you're not really part of the kingdom of God. You don't really have eternal life. You haven't become a Jew. And you have to become a Jew to be part of the people of God and to have eternal life. And Jesus is trying to help them to see that, uh-uh, it's not a particular race that holds the key to the entrance to the kingdom of God. It's Jesus who holds that key. Understand something. It's not religion that gets you into heaven. It's Jesus. It's what He did. His death. His resurrection. His power. He is the one who holds the key. Not a system of belief. A person. The Son of God. The risen Savior. Jesus Christ. He opens. He opens the door. He said in another place, I am the door. It's through Jesus that we enter the kingdom of God. Those who reject Him, the door's shut. They can't get into the kingdom of God without Him. He opens and He shuts. And then He gives a commendation to this church in verse 8. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This church were commended for their faithfulness despite their weakness. Evidently they were a small congregation. Probably they didn't have much wealth. They didn't have much influence. In the eyes of the world they were weak. But despite those apparent weaknesses, they had remained faithful to Jesus. You know, it's, it's important that we always remain faithful to Him. They had kept the sayings of Jesus and they had obeyed them. And in doing so, they gave a good testimony for Jesus. For you see, when we wither under the pressure of the world and start following the world's way or try to hide the fact that we are believers, then we don't give a good testimony to Jesus. But if we stand up even when we are ridiculed for following Jesus that does give a good testimony to the world. Because people see that person, Jesus, means so much to him or her that they're not going to back down from saying that they belong to him. 
And that lifts Jesus up in the eyes of others and helps them to understand that he is worth having. A reprimand. Verse 9. Now, understand something. There was none for this church. You know, last week we looked at the church that, boy, Jesus, you know, went up one side and down the other with reprimands on the church we looked at last week. He didn't have any for this church. But he did have them for those who were making it hard for them. Look at verse 9. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. You see, the true people of God is not someone who is a, of a particular race or a particular religion. True people of God are the ones that have invited Jesus into their lives. Paul dealt with this in Romans chapter 2. Paul wrote, A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and his circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. In other words, it's not race, it's not religion that makes you a child of God. It's what you have done with Jesus. The Old Testament Jews had been told that the Gentiles were going to come and worship at their feet. In Isaiah 49, it says, Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Promise that the people of God were going to be exalted. Well, the Jews had taken that so literally, they were looking down on everybody else, especially these upstart new Christians. Jesus turned that around. Look at the last part of verse 9. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that you are the ones who he has loved. So the church didn't receive a reprimand, but those who were claiming to be the people of God but weren't did. And then he gives a promise. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. There is throughout Scripture, beginning in the Old Testament, all the way through the book of Revelation, Jesus teaching as well. There's going to be a, a time of trial that comes upon the whole world. There's going to be a, a great tribulation at the end of time. Jesus says to these that they're going to be kept from that hour of trial. Now, he may have meant that they were going to be completely rescued from it. He may have meant that they were going to be kept in the midst of it, and they wouldn't suffer it. But, you know, this is the way God works with us. Trials come to us in this life. Sometimes he rescues us from the midst of us. Miracles are work. We praise God. Sometimes he gets us through one way or another. His grace is sufficient for us. And we ought to praise God for that. It's God working in both. God takes care of his own one way or another. And then he gives his instruction here in verse 11. He said, I am coming soon. Again and again, the scripture talks about the return of Jesus. He started his work when he came the first time. 
He died on the cross, paid the price for our sins, was raised from the dead to prove that He is the Son of God. He's going to finish that work when He comes with His holy ones and He's going to establish justice and righteousness. He's going to reprimand those. He's going to punish those who refused His ways. And He's going to reward those, give victory to those who have been faithful to Him. And if you look there in the rest of verse 11, He says to them, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. You're doing good. Keep it up. Don't stop. Keep it up. There's been a a little bit of a fad in in college football this year. You know, there's always some kind of something when somebody scores a touchdown, you know, to have some sort of celebration. Well, a, a little bit of the fad this year has been if you're running for a touchdown, as soon as you cross the goal line, drop the football. The only problem is, several times they dropped it too soon. And the touchdown didn't count. Jesus said, hold on to it till you reach the goal. You know, don't drop out from the faith. Hold on to it. Keep what you have. You don't want to lose your crown. And then, he's going to give some more promises. Look at verse 12. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Be made a pillar in the temple of God. You know, they are supporting foundations under big buildings, even under houses as well. Have you ever heard someone say, well, he's just a pillar of that organization, or he's just a pillar under that church? It means an individual who upholds the church, who supports the church. Pillars are indispensable. You've got to have them. So when Jesus said you're going to be a pillar, he's meaning you're indispensable. You're not going to be taken away. Again, what else he says? He says, never again will he leave it. You remember I told you that in Philadelphia in A.D. 17, there'd been an earthquake. Buildings start quaking. Buildings then, you know, mortar, they start coming down. What do you do? You run out of town. You get out while you can. Jesus said, you won't have to leave it. Because it's never going to be destroyed. It's going to be what? Secure. Secure. And he's got another thing. He says, I will write on him. And he's going to be three names. Look at this. I will write on him the name of my God. Now, the name of my God means that he's owned by God. God puts his name on his own to show that he owns us. When Joy and I were dating, I happened to notice one of her textbooks one day, and it said, Joy B. Cox, Furman University. And then she went to put on a coat one time, and I noticed on the back of that coat was the same stamp, Joy B. Cox, Furman University. Pretty soon I was realizing everything she owned had Joy B. Cox, Furman University stamped on it. Her mother was a little wild with that stamp. She didn't want anything to be stolen. You know, you remember those little erasers that used to have a brush on one end and a little wheel eraser on the other? She had one of those, probably cost a dime. Joy B. Cox, Furman University stamped on it. <laughs> Why did she put it there so it wouldn't be stolen? Yeah. Mark of ownership. You've got the name of God on you if you're a child of God. What else have you got? Look on verse 12. What else he says? 
I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. It amazes me right here how many times Jesus calls God my God. But before he say it is, all right, not only you got the name of God, you've also got the address put on you. What's the address? The new Jerusalem. What's the new Jerusalem? The place of eternal life. Going to come down from God out of heaven. He describes it in Revelation 21 and 22. But that, that name's on them as well. Yeah. Permanent residence in a city that's never going to be destroyed. Security. And then, what else does Jesus say? And I will also write on him my new name. The name of Jesus as well. Look at this. You've got the name of God. You got the address of the New Jerusalem. You got the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead. What's he saying? Complete, total security, now and forever. Almost enough to make us few sitting Baptists shout it. <laughs> Verse 13 He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ addressed those churches that were in his time in Revelation. He's saying the same thing to us today. He addressed the church at Philadelphia. He's saying the same thing to us today. What's he reminding us of? Two or three things. He's reminding us that he has given us an open door. He is giving us an open door to salvation. Jesus Christ died on the cross to open the door for you so that you may have eternal life, so that you may have eternal security. He opens that door wide for you so that you can come in and have eternal life, live in that city forever. May also be a door of opportunity for service. You know, a couple of times in the New Testament, you know, Paul talks about, you know, he has an open door for service. He he tells others to pray that I, the, my message will have an open door. It may be an open door to to serve one someone. It may be an open door to witness to someone. It may be an open door to help someone. Well, Christ gives us open doors, open door into salvation, open door into service. Then he is going to return and vindicate his people. Jesus is coming back. He says, I am coming soon. He's coming. He's going to vindicate his people. Yeah. The world doesn't like Christians. They make fun of us. They ridicule us. They take it as being ignorant. They say we're old-fashioned. In some places we're persecuted. In some places we're killed. But Jesus is coming back. And those who have persecuted and ridiculed his people and never repented of it, he's going to deal with. And it's not going to be pretty. Jesus is going to return. And those who, like the Christians in Philadelphia, have been faithful, who kept on, are going to hold on to their victory, their crown of victory and their crown of life. And then Jesus is going to tell us that we're to have total security in heaven. God's name on us. Heaven's address on us. Jesus' name's on us. Total security. He reminded us of this when he was here on earth. Listen to what Jesus said is recorded in John 10. Jesus said, 
I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one, you hear that? No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Complete, total security. Something you'll never find in this world, but something Jesus, the Son of God, offers to us. So today, take advantage of that open door of salvation. If you haven't invited Jesus into your life, let him come in now. He's opened the door to him. I mean, he's opened the door to you. Will you open the door of your heart to him and let him come in? Give you of your sin. Give you eternal life. Will you, if you're already a believer, just commit yourself to enter the open door of service, ministry that he offers to you. Maybe you would renew your commitment to be faithful, to keep on following even in the face of difficulty, even in the face of weakness. You know, sometime in this life we get weak. We get sick. We're going through grief. Just commit yourself to follow Jesus. He's going to see you through. He can take your weakness and turn it into strength. Or maybe you just want to give thanks because you've got a God who has promised you eternal, complete, security, safe forever in the hand of God, in the hand of Jesus. Your invitation to him this morning is number 552.